0: This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I want to say how how blessed we are to be here together this morning and uh, how blessed I feel to uh, have lifted these songs of praise to our Father and thankful for the prayers on my behalf. Um, it's just a, a joy to be able to gather together and worship our god and i hope that the lesson this morning will be encouraging i hope that that will contribute and continue to contribute to this uh, great day of worship as as we go to his word and and feed from his word and learn from it we've been on a several month journey examining this story of the scriptures and trying to show this this ark and how it's how it is all connected, uh, this one connected story that has really always been about Christ. And we've studied things from the creation. Uh, we began with, with the, the story of Adam and the creation, and then we've worked our way through talking about Noah and Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the people of Israel and, and other figures in the Old Testament. And we've been making all of these connections to see how it enriches our lives and helps us to understand. And all of the time, the whole point has been about Jesus and the whole point has been about you and I. What part do we have to play in the divine nature that God created us to be? Because if you remember what we read in Genesis chapter 127, humanity was created to be holy beings. We were created to be immortal beings that were uh, fitted with life created with purpose, and the purpose was to be holy and represent God in this world. In Genesis 1.27, it said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. The way that God created Adam and Eve was with purpose, and he gave them instruction, and he gave them, he gave them uh, a charge to have dominion over the world, and to be fruitful, and to multiply, and to uh, continue to be his representatives in this world, being righteous and holy, and there was harmony, until they fell and followed Satan. Satan came along and deceived them and gave them an alternate path, and that is a path of disobedience. And by doing that, they introduced sin and death into the world. And, and we know it says in Romans 5, verse 12, that, that so death passed upon all men uh, because of sin, because of the sin of Adam. Um, sin and death passed upon all men. Now, God, at the very beginning, promised a solution there in Genesis 3, as soon as they committed this act of failure and disobedience to God and broke the harmony and, and made themselves corrupt and unholy, God came in and passed judgment on the serpent and said this in Genesis 3.15, "...and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel." So from the very onset of this problem of sin... God has had a specific person in mind that was going to come and eradicate this problem of sin and to crush and defeat the serpent. Now, we know and we studied last time that that is Jesus, as Paul uh, calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, the last Adam, the new Adam. Uh, because Jesus was the one who came in the flesh to destroy the serpent and he is the, the reset of humanity and everything we were supposed to be as humans. The, the Bible makes this very clear, and hopefully it's been very clear as we've gone through this journey and through this series of learning and understanding these stories of the Old Testament and seeing how they have always all appointed to Jesus. In fact, uh, the Apostle Peter, when he spoke to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he said the very thing. He said in Acts 10.43, To him, speaking of Christ, to him, give all the prophets witness. And when he's talking about the prophets, he's not just talking about the books the way we have it laid out in the scriptures, the minor and the major prophets. He's talking about all of the, the Old Testament scriptures. He says, to him, Get all, if all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Peter said this has been the whole point the whole time. In fact, Jesus himself said that after he was resurrected and was with his disciples and teaching them and training them. In Luke 24, beginning in verse 44, it says that Jesus said unto them, these are the words that I spake to you while I was yet with you. They were all dumbfounded that Jesus had been resurrected. And they had forgotten that Jesus told them, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'll be raised again. And he's there traveling with them, and they're just so dumbfounded. But he says, this is everything I told you that was going to happen while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So Jesus has known, because this is a story that he's writing and he's created. He is the creator of all things, and he's the center point of all of these things. And he's telling the disciples this. The whole point of the scriptures the whole time has been to point, about, to, point to Jesus and, and the act that he was going to do. What is that? And he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. This, this plan of salvation, this plan of redemption, uh, this, this forgiveness and the freedom of sins has always been the point has always been the plan that God has had uh, from the very beginning, and even before the beginning of our world. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, we'll look at a couple of verses that show us that this is the case, uh, that this has always been about Jesus, and God has always known this plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul wrote and said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. God has had this plan for mankind to be holy, and that was His intention and purpose in creating us. From before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, I know some use these these verses and other verses that we might look at to teach a doctrine of predestination as if God had chosen long before the foundation of the world who would be saved and who would not. That's not what these scriptures are teaching. That is a false doctrine. That is a false way to look at these. It's a misunderstanding. What is accurate is to say that God predetermined that this was the plan, that people could be redeemed and saved through His Son. His intention and His purpose was, always, before the foundation of the world, that humanity should be holy and without blame. But when we failed, and he knew what I I believe that he did know, that we would be so weak and and helpless against Satan, God stepped in to fix this problem, to crush the serpent, and to give us a way to be brought back to himself and reconciled. And this problem is fixed through Jesus Christ. And so God has known that this is always the plan. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 and 10 really sums it up very very nicely, very beautifully. Uh, it says there in Second Timothy 1, 9 and 10, that God, who has saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. God has known, again, that this was the plan. And in past times, it was hidden. This mystery was hidden from the world. And God has revealed it slowly and deliberately through all of these accounts and all of these stories to the Old Testament, foreshadowing the coming of this great king, this great savior that would be the redeemer, that would crush the head of the serpent. In fact, Peter, there's, a, there's so many other verses that we could look at that talk about this, but Peter uh, says in, in his writings, I believe it's First Peter, uh, Peter 1 or Second Peter 1, uh, he says that, that the people of, in the past, in the Old Testament, they searched diligently looking for when, it, when was this going to happen and who was this promise talking about and, and when, it was it, when was it going to be revealed. But Peter said it wasn't for them in their time because that was not the time that God was going to fulfill this. But it was in the, in the first century when Jesus came into the world and it was now being revealed. This is the one we've been waiting for and looking for. So he says now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior. So the mystery had, had been hidden, but God was then revealing it in the time of Christ. And again, look at this fact that this holy calling, this purpose that God has for us to be His people, to be with Him in love, to be united with Him, has been a purpose that He's had before the world began. And that is amazing and, and, and stunning and, and somewhat overwhelming to, to think about that. This has been the plan the whole time. And then Jesus came into the world to show us more clearly and more accurately and and without any question at all that this has been God's plan because he brought the abolition of death. That consequence that came because of the sin of Adam and because of sin. He has abolished death. And now he's brought us life and immortality again. He's brought us back to that in reconciling us to God. And he brings that to light through the gospel through His death and burial and resurrection. And so Jesus has always been the point. Now, I think a critical question for us to know when we're talking about Jesus and this divine nature of being holy and being like God, and this was what God wants us to be, I think the next appropriate question is, how do we become part of this beautiful story? How do we make sure, how do we know if we are connected to this story and are a part of this? Well, if you caught some of the verses, it said that God had purposed this in Christ. And, and that's what we need to understand is, is that, that God has accomplished this and chosen to accomplish this through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Paul uh, said in, in answer to this question, "How do we join this beautiful story?" Well, First, Second Corinthians five seventeen through nineteen, it says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled to." he has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and had committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Paul, in describing his work and his purpose of the ministry that that Jesus made them uh, ambassadors of, he says, God has given us this message of reconciliation to all the world. It was to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles so that all in every nation could be gathered together to this great king. And he says, it is in Jesus that God was reconciling the world to himself. So God has chosen Christ as the method of bringing us closer to him and making us one, not just closer, but making us one with him. And so that fundamental understanding of God using Christ to bring us closer to him is so important. In us understanding, salvation, in us understanding the choice that we made to be part of Christ, because when we chose to be part of Christ, being baptized into Him, we—that means we are reborn. This is the new birth. Um, you hear the term thrown around, born again Christian, you, or you—we talk about the new birth when we decide to follow Christ. We're baptized into Him and raised up with Him. Well, Peter calls it being born again. But again, this is part of the plan that God has had for from before our world was even existent. Verse Peter 1, 19 through 23. But Peter was saying to, to the Christians, you have not been redeemed with corruptible things, with material things like gold and silver and, and vain uh, traditions. He said, you haven't been redeemed by, by those things, but what you have been redeemed by is the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but made known in the last times for you, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Um, In verse 22, he talks about our obedience to the truth uh, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. And, And he says this is the process. That's what's happening. You've been born again when we obey and submit ourselves to this plan that God has had from the foundation of the world. So when we're forgiven of our sins and are covered with that blood, we are becoming a part of the story and we are reborn. Now let's make the connections even deeper to all, the, to, to all or most of the content that we've been studying over the past few months. When we are in Christ, we, all of the stories that we've read so far were like small uh, snapshots of what God's intention and what God's purpose has been this whole time that He's revealed through Christ. And what we're experiencing in Jesus is the true story, is the thing that God has always wanted us to experience. Uh, and, and even though it was, it was foreshadowed in these Old Testament stories, we're getting to live the, the realization of those things. And, and here's how. When we're baptized into Christ and made one with Him and made reborn, we are, we are being born again as new people. We are created anew and have new life within us. And not only that, we're the same way Adam was created and, and God formed him and raised him up from the dust of the ground and made him in his likeness. We are raised up from the, from the waters of baptism, made and crafted in the likeness of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Yet, and that you have put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're putting on the likeness, and God is putting upon us His likeness, the likeness of Jesus in righteousness and true holiness. And that happens when we're reborn in Christ and we are made into God's image like Adam was. Like Noah was faithful and obedient to the commandments of God and built the ark, this vessel that God sealed him into and raised him up from the flood. When, when we trust in Christ and are baptized into Christ, and trust in this process that God has has ordained for us to use to be saved by, we're doing the same thing that Noah has done. And, And remember, Noah was raised up, him and his family, raised up in this vessel to start life all over again, all anew, because the old life had been washed away. Sin had been destroyed and washed away. And so when we're raised up from baptism, our sins have been washed away, and we're raised up to live anew. So we're raised up like Noah, to live a new life, the new humanity. 1 Peter 3, 20-21, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. So Peter makes the connection for us here. While the ark was preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure, where unto even baptism, does also now save us. And he explains, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, it's not a physical purification in, in, that, in that sense but it's the answer of how we get a good conscience toward God. If you want to know, how can my conscience be clean? How can I, how can I be pure before the Father? How can I have the cleansing? Well, I mean, Hebrews 9 says the blood of Christ is what cleanses our conscience. But he says baptism is the way for us to get that, that cleansing and that blood that gives us forgiveness and gives us that cleansing. But he connects it to the story of Noah. It's empowered by the resurrection of Christ, but he connects it to the story of Noah. So we are like Noah being raised up to start life all over again. When we are baptized into Christ and raised up with Him, not only are we recreated in the image of God, not only are we raised up like Noah to live new life, but we become heirs of the promise of Abraham that God made to Abraham. The stories that we we read about and we studied about. Galatians chapter 3, 27 through 29. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the promise that God has made to Abraham. The blessings that he promised to him were a symbol of something much deeper and much greater, and we get to be part of that inheritance if we belong to Christ. Because if we belong to Christ, then we're Abraham's seed. Abraham was promised a son he was the son of the of he had two sons one by a bond woman and that was a son of bondage and the other by Sarah his wife who was free and she was the free woman and if we are baptized into Christ are one with Christ are in Christ we get to be free and children of freedom children of the promise like Isaac and that's what Paul says Galatians 4:28. now we brethren as Isaac was are the children of promise And that's a simple, very simple verse, but there's so much depth and so much meaning behind that, and the meaning is we are free. We are children of freedom. We are no longer in bondage. We are heirs of the promise, and and we are part of the promise of, of life that God has given through this Son, and we get to be that in Christ and a part of that. When when the children of Israel were freed from the slavery and became freed from Egypt, God, in Exodus chapter 19, told them, if you will obey my voice, you will be my holy people and you will be my kingdom of priests if you will obey my voice. That's what God wants us to be, His holy, royal kingdom. And in Christ, we get to be His holy, royal kingdom because we are made... God's kingdom of priests, just like those that were called out of the Exodus. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of Him that called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He's freed us. He's made us free through the new birth and, and broken the chains of darkness, broken the bonds of Satan that He held us therewith, broken us from sin and brought us into His marvelous light, which is life, Which is immortality, which is freedom, which is which is all the spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ, in Christ. But he says here we are his holy nation, his royal priesthood. We get to be what God has always wanted humanity to be through Jesus Christ. Now the Israelites we studied and in our series of studies, we studied their failures and we saw how they constantly disobeyed God, they gave way to idols, They gave place to these things in their life and started to to take on these customs of idol worship. And because of that, God allowed them to be exiled, separate from Him. And that's a repeating theme throughout the Scriptures that we studied carefully, beginning from Adam being exiled from the garden and then continuing on. His people, when they fail, when they commit sin, He exiles us from His presence when we deliberately choose to, to disobey Him. But even though there was exile and the condemnation of exile, God had always promised that his people would be gathered together and returned unto him. And in Jesus, we get to be the gathered that had been scattered abroad, that had been taken captive by our enemies, but in Jesus he gathers us all up together and brings us again to safety. And we get to be those people that are returned from the exile. Colossians chapter 1, 20 through 22. It says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Jesus' death is so meaningful and what we gain in Jesus is so meaningful and God has been communicating these things to us over and over and over again how how deeply special this is that we get to be the cleansed, the saved the redeemed, the returned from exile, the protected the loved of God and reconciled with Him and He wants us to be holy and unblameable in His sight and He has accomplished that through Jesus Christ now, as a part of this story, if, if, if you have been baptized into Christ, you are part of this story. If you have not, you're not yet part of this story. You can be. But for those that are baptized into Christ, for those that are, that are following in this path, that are part of this great redemption, what do we do? if we're supposed to have this divine nature upon us and, and be living in holiness, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to carry out our responsibility as this holy and unblameable and unreprovable people that God has gathered together and cleansed and, and all these beautiful and wonderful things? I think that's a really important question and, and one that, that we all need to know answers to and, and have some, some insight into and see what God communicates to us about this. And the summary is, we must remain holy. If we've been cleansed from our sins, if we've been made part of this holy people, we have to stay holy. This isn't a, a negotiable thing where we get to just, you know, live in both camps of holiness and unholiness. We don't get to do that. And if, if we do, we're going to make ourselves miserable if we can't make up our mind whether to be hot or cold and pick a path. But if we're in Christ, we need to be all in. Half of our heart doesn't get to, to hang out straddling the line or on the other side of the fence if we're in Christ. Either all of you is in Christ or, or all of you isn't in Christ. That's what we need to know, and we have to remain holy. And there's tools and there's processes and there's things that God has initiated and, and has outlined and has documented for us to be able to understand how to remain holy. And one of the key factors in that is choosing you and I get to make the choice and the decision to live in holiness that is a powerful thing that we need to know we don't accidentally become unholy we don't accidentally just kinda meander into it we decide to do that and we get pulled in and we make choices and as powerful as those moments are as powerful as those feelings are when we're feeling tempted by the whatever sin may entice us we still have a choice we can still walk away. We can still put it down. We can still make a different decision. And God wants us to make that decision continually. And it's not easy, and it's not... Uh, don't, don't take it that way. It's not easy. It's very difficult and very painful and very challenging, but it's worth it. Peter said it this way, and I love this imagery that he gives to Christians. 1 Peter 1, 4 through 4-16. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. God wants us to be like him. God wants us to have his holiness. And so we need to make the decision to fashion ourselves according to not our old life, not our old lusts, not our old ignorance as the template that we're using to model ourselves after, but the new template, the template of the new man, the new Adam, Jesus, who is true holiness and true righteousness. Use that as our template to model our lives after and say, what is it that I need to change? And as the imagery is given here, take that chisel, take that hammer, and start start working away at that material, your heart and your life, and building new habits and crafting, crafting yourself to be more like Jesus so that we can because that's what he wants. So it's a choice that we need to make to not build our life according to our old ways but according to new ways. And in support of that, and in our journey of doing that, God gives us the information and the knowledge that we need to accomplish that. He gives us the template. He doesn't hide the rules. He doesn't move the goalpost. He doesn't make it so complicated for us that we just can't can't succeed. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to overcome sin. He wants us to be in Christ. He wants to give us mercy and forgiveness and love and support and care, all the things that we need to, to achieve this. That doesn't make it any easier. That doesn't mean it's not difficult, but God gives us all the tools and supplies all our needs to, in order to accomplish this. 2 Peter 1, three through 3-4, it says, According as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue. That's Jesus. Through the knowledge of Christ, using Him as the template, the new Adam, the quickening spirit, as Paul calls Him in 1 Corinthians 15. That's our template for all things that pertain to life and to godliness. We want to have true life. We want to have true godliness, true joy. It's all through Jesus. He says, whereby are given to us exceeding and great precious promises, "...so that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature." You see, God wants us to be His holy people. He wants us to know what to do and how to do it. He doesn't want us to be confused and and misled or misunderstand. He wants us to know. Because we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and God doesn't want us going back to that. He doesn't want us to go back to wallowing in the mire. He doesn't want us to be enslaved once again. He doesn't want our hearts looking constantly back at Egypt going, man, I really had it better off over there in Egypt. This is too much and this is too hard. He wants us to to experience the the success of changing and transforming and fashioning our, our lives through the knowledge of Christ. So choose to live in holiness. Choose to... Take on His Word and study His Word and feed on His Word because that's the information that you need. You will perish without knowledge. It happens over and over again to the Israelites and it will happen to us. You will perish without it. It's your lifeline. It's your life support. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. We need to understand that as the holy people of God that He wants us to be in His royal priesthood, What we also need to do when we're choosing to follow righteousness, we're choosing to be holy, we're choosing to take on His Word, we also need to choose to worship Him acceptably. 1 Peter 2, 5. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and what is our purpose? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We need to know the kinds of sacrifices God wants us to make, the kinds of sacrifices He doesn't want us to make. We need to understand the things that are acceptable to him as far as worshiping him in spirit and in truth and the things that are not acceptable to him in spirit and in truth. Because if we're his royal holy priesthood, we need to make sure that we are accurate in the ways that we're carrying out our priesthood. And it needs to be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're not going to know unless we have the knowledge of the scriptures and are choosing to follow holiness. It's so important. It is so critical. This isn't just some hokey religion where we get to just decide what makes us feel good and offer up that that up to God and say He likes this and that's my sacrifice. We need to be much deeper thinkers about this. We need to be much more critical thinkers about this, and go to His Word and say, What does the Bible say? And that's what's pleasing to God, and therefore that's what's going to be pleasing to me to give to God. We ha- we have to make sure we absolutely have to as His royal priesthood. I mean, we saw what happened to Nadab and Abihu. When they didn't offer up authorized worship to him god consumed them with the fire leviticus chapter chapter 10 verse verses 1 and 2 i mean it's very very clear that god takes the worship of his priesthood to him very seriously living as god's holy people worshiping him as his royal priesthood we need to make the decisions to separate ourselves from unholiness that's really really hard i know in this world that we live in we're inundated we're surrounded, we're constantly influenced by all the things in this life that want to pull us away from God's holiness. But think about this, the questions that Paul asks in 2 Corinthians 6. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? What union is there between the idol worshipers and the temples that they serve of these false gods and the temple of God? There's nothing. For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. some references to some things that happened in the Old Testament where people were mingling themselves with, with idols, and constantly God was saying this to the children of Israel. Come out from among the idols come out from among the idol worshipers, be separate from unholy people, and I will receive you and you will be mine. That's what the message is for us today still. We need to be God's holy people and live separate and come out from among those who are not living holy lives. And he continues on. He says, if we do this, he will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And it goes on into the next chapter, and he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's a constant practice that we need to be partaking in, of cleansing ourselves from filthiness of our flesh and mind and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We need to constantly be trying to perfect that, fashioning ourselves according to His will. And part of that's going to be making decisions to separate ourselves from those who are not going to influence us to do what is good and what is holy. And I understand that's hard. And God understands it's difficult for us because we get emotionally attached. We build friendships. We build bonds. We build build all kinds of connections that are really hard to sever sometimes. But they're absolutely necessary for us to make those steps to grow in our holiness and maturity and understanding. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-7, it says this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Every one of you, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. God wants us to know and understand, as we live in this world, not to be partaking of these sins, not to get carried away from these things, but instead choosing to abstain, understanding how to control ourselves, our body, and our soul, and our emotions in sanctification and honor. Why? Because God did not call us to be unclean people. God called us to holiness, and we have a responsibility and a duty to live up to that holiness in the way that we live in this world. And, and that may mean going, not going to certain places, not participating in certain things, not being around certain kinds of people. Those are sacrifices that, that are acceptable to God and Jesus Christ for us to become more and more holy. Uh, so we need to think about those things very carefully and be honest about those things and not, not justify our own selves. Let's be honest and critical thinking about it, because it's so deeply important. Now, that doesn't mean to be hateful to people. That doesn't mean going around berating people, because as God's holy ambassadors, his representatives of holiness in this world, we have a duty to love all people. That doesn't mean accepting what sin is or, uh, you know, giving permission for it to be granted or uh, condoning sin. That's not what the scriptures teach us but we have a responsibility in how we choose to act towards other people. Romans thirteen eight through 10, it says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another fulfill, hath fulfilled the law. For this, and he goes through a list of Old Testament commandments, he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, and I say Old Testament, these are godly commandments for us to, to uh, that are just common godly commandments. But he says, For this, these commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If we want to be holy, righteous people that are fulfilling the commandment of God and the law of Christ, we need to take on this this attitude of loving. And acting in loving ways for all people, we don't get to choose. We don't get to hate just because they're someone's uh, not our political affiliation. And if that's our standard of whether or not we're going to love someone, we need a new standard. We don't get to hate because and, and mistreat people, and not work love towards them, if they're someone's a different monetary class than we are in. If that's our standard, we need a new standard. We don't get to decide based on, on any status, any class, any uh, race, any color. We don't get to make that determination. And if, and if we are making determinations based on worldly, earthly thinking, it's going to cause chaos and more problems, and we need a new standard. And the standard is this, the standard of Christ. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves... Even our enemies, Jesus said. Even those who intend ill towards us. It's about you and your heart and how you respond. And we need to embody love in this world. And not only love to those outside of the world, but those, or those out in the world outside of the body of Christ, especially to those that are in the household of God. We need to show love to the family of Christ and be loving and and helping and supporting one another. First John three ten 10-11. In this, this is a standard that we know, or this is a fruit that we can look at and judge in our own lives. Do we love God or, or not? How do you know? In this, the children of God are known, are manifest in the children of the devil. Whosoever doth doeth not righteousness is not of God. If, if, if we're a person that is not doing righteousness, we're choosing not to follow Christ. Choosing not to live in holiness and fashion our lives after holiness, we are not of God. Neither is he he that loveth not his brother. If you think, well, I'm trying to fashion my life after holiness and I'm doing all the things that the commandments say, but you're hateful to your family in Christ. John said that's that's a mark and an indication that we are not the children of God. For this is the message that you heard from the very beginning, that you should love one another. Jesus told his disciples that. Love one another as I have loved you. Lay down your lives for one another. That means laying down our lives may may mean literally giving up our life, but a lot more commonly, it may be giving up our opinions in favor of pursuing the will of God and the word of God, encouraging us to be united on the word of God. But he says this is how we know if we're the children of God or not. It is extremely important in our journey of becoming holy and perfecting holiness in our life to embody love. First Thessalonians 3, 12-13, it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do towards you. Why? To the end that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. If we don't have love and we're not embodying love, we cannot be unblameable and holy before God our Father. We absolutely have to have that. <clears throat> what are our other responsibilities? Uh, quickly, I'll work through a couple more. One, being fruitful and multiplying just as, as Adam and, the, and the, uh, God's creation was responsible for being fruitful and multiplying, so are we. And I'm not saying growing our family size, I'm saying growing the, the family size of God. Matthew 28, 18-20 Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This process of making disciples, you're making people born into the family of God, and they're being created in the image of God. They become part of the story, and we're expanding the family size of God's kingdom. It's our responsibility to go invite people into this blessing and help them see this holiness this path that God wants us for them to see and be a part of, because it's for all people. And we need to be living in view of Christ's return, as he says, as, as the previous verse that we read had mentioned, looking in view of Christ's return, because he's coming back someday. And we need to know that and keep that in mind. He's coming back someday. Timothy, or Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are, we are not just living this temporary existence where we're just going to do the best we can, and then we die, and then we cease to exist, and then who knows what happens next. It's all continuing on, working towards a specific goal, working towards a specific event and we are living in holiness in view of the blessed appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ because he is going to return someday and then we will receive our reward if we have been living in holiness to him living as faithful servants at that time we will receive our reward and then I think we'll really understand and then we'll really know and see what all of this has been for. Because at that time, we will receive eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 24-25, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning will remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He promised us, eternal life. That's what we have ownership of, this promise that God gave us that He's granted us to be a part of, eternal life. And in that moment of having eternal life, it means we will have a new body. Philippians chapter 3, 20 through 21, our conduct is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is He going to do? Why is that important? He's going to change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able to even to subdue all things to Himself. When Christ returns, part of eternal life means we are going to receive a totally new body. Don't think that when we die our body and soul are separate and then our body just kind of goes away and, and the separated state is what God wants us. That's not what He wants we're going to be put back in our bodies and our bodies will be transformed and it'll be like whatever body Jesus has when he was resurrected and ascended to the Father. That's what we will get. And that is part of having eternal life. And if we're part of this eternal life, the resurrection of life, as Jesus calls it in John 5, then we'll be taken up to safety. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and power and authority, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We will be safely in the vessel of Christ as part of his people, as part of his kingdom, as we're raised up from this place and it's destroyed. And we will go to safety. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And we will never, ever again feel the sting of sin. We'll never again experience death. We'll never again live in fear of death. Because it will be gone. And then Jesus will... Invite us into the great city of our God. And He'll invite us to eat of the tree of life. Revelations twenty-two fourteen. He says, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to eat of the tree of life, and may enter into the gates into the city. Jesus is coming to take us and to give us the right to eat again of the tree of life. And that means that we will be in harmony with God and there will be peace and there will be safety. And it will be like nothing we could ever imagine. That's why this matters. That's why this is so important. It's not just some hokey religion where we get together and, well, I just got to go to this place on Sunday and I've got to do these things. It's much more than that. It is much more meaningful and much more deep than that. And if it's not for you in your life right now, I encourage you, dig deep into these precepts, dig deep into these, to the understanding of God's Word, so that you may be taking on the divine nature. The divine nature is not just when we're sitting down in this room together worshiping God, it's when we're going out in our daily lives. The way we interact with our wife, the way we an- interact with our kids, the way we interact with our family, the way we interact with our co-workers and the people of the world, the way we interact with one another outside of this place. We don't get to come here and pretend like things are fine and then go out and live however we want. That's not living in the divine nature. And if if you want to experience this eternal life and eat of the tree of life, it's important, imperative, imperative that we encourage each other to live holy lives always and be transforming. So if you're here this morning as a member of the priesthood of Christ and you know there are stains, you know... There are problems. You know, you know, because we don't know what's in your heart. But if you know those things that are holding you down from, from growing and maturing and this, the weight of sin is so easily besetting you, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12, isn't it time to let go of those things? Isn't it time to put those, those weights aside? Put those bricks down. Take on the choice of fashioning your life in holiness after Christ and know that the family of Christ that meets here will encourage you, will absolutely participate in your growth in whatever ways we're capable of. Whatever ways we can encourage you in, we will absolutely be here for each other as a family in Christ. And there's no shame, there's no guilt. We all have failures and we all make mistakes, but it's not worth staying silent and staying stuck. Speak up and and let people know so that so that aid can be provided and, and most importantly so that God will be able to bless you and forgive you and and help you because he wants you to succeed. Don't hold yourself back. It's too important. And if you're here this morning and you're listening and you're not a Christian and you're thinking I want access to all of these blessings that are mentioned in Christ as I've read from the scriptures for myself. I want to be part of this divine nature. I want to be a holy person. I want to ultimately receive a new body and go in to this beautiful city and eat of the tree of life and live forever. God wants that for you, but it begins with the choice of being baptized into Christ. That's where your fashioning of your life and holiness after the model of Christ, that's where it begins. And then you'll learn to observe the things that He's commanded us to do. If you need that and want that, we absolutely do too, and God wants that for you. So if there's anybody that needs help, anybody that has these needs, let your desires be known. Come forward as we sing and sit down on the front, and we'll sit and visit, and we'll talk about what you need, and we'll pray together and, and uh, do everything we can. So please st- uh, come forward as we stand and, and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.